0: This episode of Animalators is brought to you by Gradient. Gradient is the brand reaching open-minded, culturally inclusive, justice-oriented millennials through in-depth reporting, long-form features, and thoughtful commentary on what's happening in the world around us. If you like this podcast, be sure to check out some of the other great shows that are part of the Gradient Podcast Network. There's Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey, a podcast that explores the lives, stories, and adventures of some of the happiest people on the internet. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a podcast, a show that explores the infinite overlaps between superheroes, the people who create them, and their connections to the world around us. And in case you missed it, Gradient's weekly news roundup podcast, where members of the Gradient team give their perspective on five news stories from the week that was. Check it all out at gradient.is slash podcasts, follow along on Facebook and Twitter at gradient.is, that's Gradient, D-O-T-I-S, or just search for Gradient and subscribe to their podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Gradient, news, culture, and the human experience. Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 21st episode of Animal Aiders, curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show we have Michael Jones. Based in beautiful Bend, Oregon, Michael is the founder of MoGraph Mentor, an online motion graphics training program with an emphasis on career development. We'll talk a little bit about his program and why Michael decided to create it, the future of education, developing a value-based approach to your work, and how to break into the animation industry. Excited to get into all this and more coming up on this week's episode of Animal Well, Michael Jones, thanks so much for uh, coming on Animalators. I'm stoked to have you.
1: Yeah, anytime. Thanks, man.
0: Well, I I absolutely love what you're doing with MoGraph Mentor and um, your blog and your podcast and all the stuff you got going on, and we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, But first, I want to start with where we start with everybody, which is uh, how did you get into animation?
1: So my brother-in-law went to Ringling School of Art and Design to study character animation And after graduating, he took a job at Blue Sky, which is uh, near White Plains, New York, and they're owned by Fox, and they work on the Ice Age titles. They did the Rio films. Um, Nowadays, it's mostly Ice Age. I think they're on, like, number five or six or or something. And I would spend time in New York in the summers with uh, my sister and him, and he would show me Maya and show me the rigs and be like, here, you know, play with the mouse, move it around, and, oh, set a keyframe, and then go forward and, like... (laughs) you know break just break this rig and have fun with it and um that was incredibly interesting to me i went to college to study media communications i was going to a very small school that had that didn't have design and animation and mograph on their radar in terms of communications it was more about uh working at a local news tv station yeah. and i i did that for a couple of years and I could see that uh, I had no, you know I didn't want to work at a local TV station and I was thinking my job prospects with this college are just going to be awful, <laughs> so I dropped out after a year and a half and went and took an unpaid internship down in Miami. I have grandparents who live in South Florida and they allowed me to you know bunk on their couch for six to eight months to do the internship and it was at a small production studio and that's where I got my first taste of working in After Effects, doing really simple stuff. It was like, hey, look at these Andrew Kramer tutorials. Make a thing here. And, um, you know, like many people, I got totally obsessed, saved up money, bought like a $400, you know, Dell computer, stole a copy of After Effects. Please (laughs) don't come after me, Adobe. You know, pirated the suite and then uh, literally just like obsessed with it, staying up all night, doing that sort of thing. I did attend animation mentor, who MoGraph mentor is essentially modeled after, and studied character animation and really enjoyed it. But ultimately, I think I did three semesters with them. Uh, and while I was completely impressed with the format and how much I learned in that period of time, uh, ultimately, I really did like design so much and visual art in the way that it could mesh with photography and live action and all the other things I was interested in. And so ended up just kind of settling into this is how I want to, this is what I want to be good at is is doing motion design. And um, yeah, from from that point on, I was given, you know, sort of junior positions to to kind of learn on the job. I was probably grossly underqualified in all of my first opportunities. (laughs) I have many horror stories, even about freelance jobs, uh, of how poorly a job I did and how poorly it went. But, you know, over time learning more and more, And really, uh, after we relocated to Portland, um, I got the opportunity to work in a studio called Cardboard Castle, which is under the direction of a guy named Cooper Johnson, who's just a really nice person and a really great artist. And he uh, really took a lot of time to sort of guide me and help me understand the role of being a visual communicator and and working through boards and and trying to make good looking stuff for clients and, and even some of the business side of it. He was really open and, and transparent. And so I'm just one of these individuals who was lucky to get opportunities and then tried to work really hard to be, you know, worthy of like sitting in the same room as some of these really, really good artists that did go to the good art schools that were really, they understood the disciplines. And so it was a lot of just looking at them and like, wow, you know, how are they making stuff look so good? Oh, the principles of design. Maybe I need to go buy that book and sit up all night and like, look at this stuff. And yeah. um, so that, that was sort of my path into it. Very
0: cool. So as you were kind of learning, was your you thought like, ah, I'll be a freelancer or are you going to go try to get a job at a studio or like what was kind of the plan?
1: Yeah, I didn't have much of a plan other than if someone I wanted to marry the girl I was dating who is now my wife. That's a great Paige. plan. That's a great plan. And I mean I was I was so desperate to marry this girl that I was I couldn't get a full-time job doing MoGraph. I'd been doing it for like a year and I was still super green. And I was getting some freelance gigs, but I would like make a three-minute video for nine hundred dollars for some church down the road and it looked like crap and I was like, man, I'm I'm still so bad at this. <laughs> that I actually applied for a job uh, at FedEx, just being like, I'll, wor-, you know, I'll work at FedEx, I'll move packages, like I need, I need an income so I yeah. can get married. And um, thankfully, right at that same time, there was a small agency in town as well that was also hiring and ended, ended up getting that opportunity and didn't have to work at FedEx. But <laughs> at that point, I was prepared to do almost anything within, within the law to get money <laughs> into, my, into my pocket
0: that's incredible what what does your wife do uh for work
1: so she's run a uh, essentially a wedding photography sort of practice oh, company cool. you know she's the one employee but so she's about year six of shooting weddings
0: nice so both of you have, have a uh entrepreneurial spirit i i say
1: oh right? yeah so. man i'm her assistant too i'm the bag nice. carrier so
0: nice work
1: yeah, yeah I, I go to these weddings mostly too um <laughs> Ever since we had the baby, though, we have a we have a six month old girl now, and oh wow, congrats! Since Very that cool point, one. she's kind of she's kind of tapered it down, and gotcha. she may she may be semi retired on shooting weddings, but we'll see.
0: So now, you, I mean, I, I understand most of your time is blocked out um, for Mograph Mentor. Could you explain uh, to those who might not know uh, what that is, and and maybe just tell us a little bit of the story about how that came to be?
1: Yeah, Mograph Mentor is essentially three classes, but if you were to take it all, it would be 36 weeks of essentially live workshopping. You have one live session each week that runs two to three hours, sometimes more, where you are given essentially creative briefs as you would at at an art school to work on a project. And then you essentially workshop it. You come each week with your storyboards or your animatic or your art frames or your creative direction pitch, wherever, wherever you are in that assignment. And you get critique. Uh, from your instructor and from your peers and you talk about it and it's all done live on a platform called GoToMeeting, which is a really nice uh, web conferencing platform. And the goal is to help people develop uh, their technical, their artistic, and their professional skills. We're also hoping to give people a framework for this is how studios work, this is what they expect of you, um, this is we talk about charging rates and things of that nature. Uh, so we wanna train people up as artists and as and as critical thinkers, and then we wanna really set them up to, to go to work, and then we wanna find them jobs. We have a job placement program, which is essentially when somebody graduates, they have a conversation with me, we figure out what their goals look like, everybody's different, some people want contract work, some people want full-time work, and then we just try to make connections uh, between the studios and agencies that we have relationships with and and these graduates.
0: Wow. That's incredible. And it, it, and it sounds incredibly practical too. Um,
1: It's it's pretty basic. It's pretty practical. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no. And I've heard nothing but fantastic reviews from people who run through your program and then also uh, mentors in your program, um, rave reviews. So, so kudos there. And I just Yeah, it's
1: worth, it's worth mentioning that it's really, the value is the time with the mentors. So that is what's valuable about it. And it is good so far as we have these incredible instructors that are not only world-class artists but they really are passionate about taking these live sessions every week for 12 weeks and uh, and really working with people
0: yeah so I'm curious where did this kind of idea come from was this was this something that you've been kind of stewing on ever since going through school to become an animator
1: Yeah, so the format is not novel. It's not new. I mean, the sort of live workshopping in a small group format I had seen in many other niche industries. And obviously Animation Mentor is probably the most prominent. It's one that I did. And um, so it's certainly not a novel format, but for many years, you know, I would talk to my wife about man somebody has to do this for motion graphics it's such an obvious idea it's such low-hanging fruit like because if you could if you could just put it together it would be so obviously a good idea that it would just have hmm. to work and you know myself being self-taught and feeling insecure of like well you know that's for like that's for like justin Cohn at motionogra he should do that that's like you know buck should do that like a legit studio should put that together because they would have so much credibility and I just convinced myself, like, it wasn't going to be my place to do it because there were so many more qualified people. And a couple years go by, and then I'm thinking, like, well, maybe nobody's going to put this together. And uh, so we thought, well, well, we'll give it a shot. So we spent about a year um, talking to people who went to art school, trying to understand how did they develop your skill set? What are the types of assignments you worked on? I mean, people down to the, like, people who went to SCAD and Ringling and all these great art schools that I have so much respect for would share with me, like, here's all the assignments we did. And it really opened my eyes to the nature of general open prompts that can be interpreted in different ways. And then the workshopping mentality of, like, now we're going to work through it. And that just kept coming up and up. And I thought this would be so easy to do on a, in a web conferencing format. Um So as the process went of putting it together, I felt more confident this was going to be valuable and and help people. And then the challenge, obviously, was just finding great instructors. Uh, That is the whole program. If all the instructors were done today, the program would be useless, uh, (laughs) worthless. So it it really is about these mentors. And uh, I was just incredibly a a little bit surprised um, of just how receptive many people were that I would contact them. They had, you know, I have very little credibility online. Hey, I'm some guy and I want to do a thing and do a thing here. And, you know, would you be open? And the amount of responses of, I've been dying to work with aspiring artists. I've been dying to work. W- I've been dying for an outlet like this, where aside from my work at my awesome studio, the Ryan Summers and Handels and all these amazing people saying, you know what, I would love to spend some time working with passionate artists that want to grow their skills. And, uh, So it's opened my eyes to how just how generous people in this space are.
0: Totally. I think I read somewhere that uh, maybe it was on your blog that you have students from over like 67 countries or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to I think we're going to go to 70 countries after this after this next semester. We just got about seven applications this morning, none from the United States. That's been a surprise. That's amazing. Um, It's been really cool. It's been really cool. And I think because access to this type of education is essentially non-existent in most of these countries. I mean, in Nigeria, what are your choices? You're going to look at stuff online. There's, there's not going to be, uh, you know, tons and tons of motion design programs for you to pursue locally. Um, so connecting, you know, connecting a Jorge Estrada with someone in Colombia, like that's just cool. That's a really cool thing. And, um, I got to give some love to the international students cause they work their asses off. Uh, <laughs> not, not all of them, but you see, you see a real, a real drive and a real hunger, uh, which, which I always like to see.
0: Yeah. Well, in this, in this like kind of worldwide connection and then like one-on-ones with, or not one-on-ones, but like small group dynamic with, with some of the best people in the industry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I think that's, I mean, that's incredible. And, and I feel like that's, I don't know. Do you think that's the future of education?
1: Yeah. Uh, I certainly, yeah, I certainly think it's here. I certainly think it's incredibly valuable. I mean, Seth Godin talks a lot about what he calls the connection economy that there's going to be value to be had for anybody that can set up those connections. <laughs> and I feel that's been my role is yeah. like facilitating connections and, um, We could probably have five other MoGraph mentor competitors competing simultaneously and all have full waiting lists too. I honestly believe the demand is that high for this type of connection. If anyone's listening, please don't actually go and implement that. but I I think the future of education isn't all of the above. I think think it's free stuff. I think like getting free information, it serves its own purpose. I think live conferences serves a purpose. I think the workshopping small group model serves a purpose. Um, I do know that continuing education is here to stay. We're all going to be constantly remaking our skill set every five to ten years, depending on how technology shifts and things of that nature. So, Um, I think it's all the above and I think this type of online workshopping is going to be one piece of the puzzle for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so how, how old is Milograph Mentor now?
1: So we're in year three.
0: Very cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole new kind of business that you've started, right? I mean, like being a freelance animator is, is a business in itself, um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've learned um, over over your three years of MoGraph Mentor and then years of freelancing um, about building a business and, and being an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, I think one thing I've learned from business is that you care way more about your cool thing than anyone else mm. does. And you need to really make sure that your thing that you're into actually provides value to other people, or it's going to be really easy to ignore you. So some of the successful things I've done that have gotten a good response and we're making money, um, I like to talk about, and there are some things I've tried to do that I've lost money and I don't like to talk about. (laughs) And, you know, hindsight's 2020 in retrospect, it's really easy to get excited about an idea and think, Oh my gosh, how cool would this be? And you're into it. Um, and no one else cares that much. (laughs) And, uh, And that, that's sort of on the entrepreneurial side. I mean, on the freelance side, I really enjoyed being a freelancer because I like the independent contractor kind of business relationship that you can have with your clients. And it is like a small business. You have a client roster and you need, you've got a customer service part. You've got a billing part. You've got to keep your books. You've got to do the accounting. Um, it's complicated. It's complicated even just to be a freelancer. There's kind of a lot of stuff to keep your eye on. And, um, you know, business development in my view for freelancers is essentially two things is the skills and your network. If you, the first thing is the portfolio. I mean, I see it all the time with people who come through MoGraph mentor and we're we're trying to get them opportunities. We're trying to plug them in. It's the, it's the portfolio. If your portfolio is good, it's so easy to grow your network quickly because the demand is high. If Mm. the portfolio is okay or shaky, it's like pushing a stone up a hill. It's like it's such it's so intensive labor to try to get your network to grow. Um, so you know, if if somebody wants a piece of advice, it's like make make good stuff, make good stuff, and it doesn't mean make fifty three second things that are cool to fill it up and show yourself, make it look like you've been doing it for ten years. If you've been doing it for a little bit of time, that's okay, people. Uh, you know, art directors and these studios know if you're a junior designer or whatever. Um, By looking at your portfolio, I was always struck by the young lady B Grandinetti when she wanted, I think she's working with Fraser Davidson and some of those folks in England, I might be incorrect about that, but she did, and I've talked about it before, she did essentially like a little internship application to Giant Ant saying, I wanna be your tiny aunt. I don't know if you ever saw that (laughs) piece. No, I didn't. I need to check that out. That sounds awesome. It was so unique. It was so creative. It showed her director's mind. It showed that she was an original thinker and that it showed she was willing to express a unique perspective. And that one video beats any portfolio of like 30 tutorials that you followed that show you can use the software, at least in my view. Um, So I always like to talk that moment up of like, it really is quality over quantity, in, in in my view. And you know, guys like uh, Jorge Estrada, he did his thesis film at Vancouver Film School. The um, the title sequence with the dots, and that one that one piece, you know, so blew up online that it was like, okay, yeah, we we feel like we know something about this person, and studios want to work with a person like that. Um, so have 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 the portfolio uh, before you can before you can build the network, I think would be my advice for sure. Yeah. Well, and
0: that comes back to, I think what you said at the beginning, which is like, how do you develop value? Like you, you as an entrepreneur, like want to develop um, value in your business. And is that how you see freelancers being able to um, kind of think about their careers? Like, you know, how can I bring value to studios? I think so.
1: I think so. I mean, how do you get, how do you help someone get what they want? Like, how do you help that studio get what they want? What do they want? They want to do good work and they want to do the work that's done on time. And they want to do work with somebody that responds to emails and doesn't go dark for a week. And how do you help them get what they want? Help them get what they want. You're going to get what you want. That is, that is held true for me. And the same for clients. Like there's a lot of people like to, you know, shit on their clients on Twitter and talk crap, but it's like, It's also your job to educate and your job to guide, because you are, if you're a freelancer, you need to be an expert. You need to be an expert professional. You need to be an expert at something um, in in my view, if if it's going to be easier for you. Mm. Um, So seeing it, seeing it from the client's perspective, I think is really important. The small business, the guy who designs website and he's, you know, websites, and he's got $6,000 to build an explainer video to bring his value proposition to his audience in 60 seconds. Okay, maybe the budget's low, but you need to, if if you're gonna take that job, you need to find a solution to help, help this guy get what he wants. Um, and sometimes maybe that's, maybe you don't need a video, maybe you need these six other things, but at least seeing it from their perspective and keeping your mind on providing value, I just don't see how you could go wrong with that general mindset. And then if you're developing your skills and you're good at what you do, uh, I just don't see how you could could fail with that mindset
0: yeah definitely so i mean obviously a big part of MoGraph mentor is is learning it's learning about learning new skills and, and i think that's a huge part just in general of of becoming a good animator and kind of um i don't know expanding your skill set um and i'm sure like learning and learning new skills is something that you think about um a lot. So, I mean, maybe even just for you personally, like um maybe what what are you learning right now? Um and then I don't know, like the processes in learning is something that's always interesting to me and I'm sure you think a lot about that process um with the business that you're in. Um cuz you could you so could you maybe a little bit talk about like maybe your learning processes and maybe something you're learning now?
1: Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm just constantly consuming information. Yeah. <laughs> to, to the point where like, I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning and I, op- you know, I lay in my bed and I get my smartphone and I open Facebook and I read something from Scientific American about quantum physics. And then I, you know, listen to a bit of Animalators podcast. Hey. And then I, you know, I read the Washington Post about some new tax policy proposal that people are arguing about. Like, <laughs> it, we're, we're so inundated with this stuff. It's almost um, hard to for me, it's almost hard to decide what I want to learn. Like, mm. what do I even want to be good at? Everything's so available. I've had a little bit of uh, contact with Ruby on Rails developers recently, nice. and now suddenly I just cannot stop thinking about <laughs> the potential of application development uh, of just how. So now I'll just sit here on my Cintiq and just sketch, like, web pages. And oh, like wow. You know what? You could build this. Yeah. You could li- I f- if I wanted to spend 10 grand, I could build this and make it exist, like, in two weeks. Um, just stuff like that. There's so there's so much that's that's available. It's it's almost hard for me to decide. Like, nope, I need to focus down uh, on this. I mean, it was easier for me in the beginning of like, no, motion graphics was everything. I tuned out everything else. And now, I don't know a little bit as I get older, I'm just suddenly so interested in in a million different things. That doesn't really answer your question, but that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, in terms of in terms of the students learning. You know, in MoGraph Mentor, I feel like they're in the same place we all were when we began where you're trying to thread the needle of your technical skills of like learning how to just get an idea out of your head and make it a reality using the software and then all that simultaneously trying to understand design principles and animation principles and what is good, effective art direction and um, branding strategy and filmmaking and storytelling. And it's a lot. It's a lot. I think there's a pretty steep learning curve in motion design yeah. because it's the most multidisciplinary job I think I could identify in in the entire sort of creative services industry. Um, you know, being, being a Ruby on Rails developer is like, okay, know that thing. Yeah. To me, motion design, I've always said, is a mashup of existing distinct disciplines that you do have to weave together. So motion design, I think can be specifically difficult actually in the beginning.
0: Yeah. And in MoGraph Mentor, do you guys focus on a specific aspect or you try and do a broad kind of cover over all of the disciplines?
1: Yeah. So in class one, the project structure does treat them as individual disciplines and it's design first. The first thing they do is a design project. And that is, uh, is, I think it's pretty well established that First and foremost, motion design is a visual medium. Austin Shaw wrote a book, uh, Design for Motion, and he had a very much design first mentality. Like it's sort of that every frame a painting idea that it's gotta look beautiful first, then let's figure out how to make it move. And so the first project is design. The second project is exclusively animation. It's essentially a ball bounce assignment where we ask them to pitch storyboard ideas and then actually execute an animation. And then the third project in class one is what we call the visual essay. It's a short film where they get to do design and animation, but now they're weaving in some of those filmmaking components of pacing and story and music and arc and callbacks and all these little sort of story features. Hmm. Um, So we do we do approach it as individual disciplines and try to like bear down on those individually.
0: Yeah. I love it. I'm wondering, do you, do you see anything about like just the way, um, I don't know. It's something I think about a lot just cause I have a lot of school debt and have to pay that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, about where'd just, you go to school? Uh, I went to a tiny school in Ohio called Cedarville for music. Okay. So I am, oh, nice. I am not, using that too much um okay <laughs> here in nashville well, a little bit here yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah a little bit but uh here in nashville i am just an average guitarist and mm. not a great one sure. so um but no i i just like am the more i think about it like you know as growing up like my my parents were always like you know you 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 go to high school and then you get into a good college and then you you do well in college and then you get a good job and that's kind of yeah. like the path and and i'm super yeah. grateful for that um but man, like I, uh, the, everything, most of what I know, I've learned from friends or from the internet or just do, doing sure. my work. And, and I don't know if I would have that same mentality, maybe for, for my kids and for the next generation. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that colleges and, and universities, especially when focused on on arts, do you think they need to change and, and maybe adapt to kind of um, fit where we are now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right that it is specific to the discipline. I mean, the data is pretty clear that you're still likely to earn more money if Hmm. you go to to college versus not. But I do think that, like our job, has anybody ever asked you for your bachelor's degree? Like when you're doing a pitch (laughs) on boards? Like, It is such, it's such a show me business. It's such a like, well, show me your portfolio. I don't, yeah. I don't care at all. If you even like know how to read, like if you, if you're a great illustrator and we need a great illustrator, that's all we care about. So, you know, in our parents' defense, it was probably hard for them to predict that a job like that would be a thing right? that yeah. yeah. you literally do not need a, a college diploma almost ever in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. I mean, do they need to change? The cost structure of arts education is way off. That's about, in my view, larger structural issues in the funding of higher education. All education has gotten grossly more expensive in the last 35 years. That's more structural stuff. Sure. Yeah. But. I mean, kids have to be logical now. Kids have to be really, really logical and careful when making this choice because you better be really, really, really sure that you're gonna earn back. Like if you're gonna go to Ringling, you might spend $200,000 in four years. I I would talk to Joey from School of Motion who was an instructor there, and he even expressed sort of a sick feeling in his stomach of a kid who would do a first year Mm -hmm. of motion media do really poorly, fail some classes, and then per their mandate, you have to retake those classes. And of course, you're not, Oof. so you just leave. So, you, so they just they just walk away. Yeah. You know, fifty grand later, they don't have the skills, and they owe, you know, fifty thousand dollars. That's that's a huge mistake. That's a huge mistake. That that individual, there's no one's going to help that individual. That person's going to owe that money for the rest of their life. Um, so. Man, if there's any young people listening to this, just be really careful. It doesn't mean art school is bad by any means. I wanted to go to art school. I have so much respect for these institutions. If there is some way that it is affordable and you don't, and even if you have some debt, if you're going to make a high income, okay, that's that's a logical choice. But you know, with things like MoGraph Mentor and School of Motion, I mean, you could do a pretty legitimate year and a half, two year of online arts education for I don't know, 10, 12 grand, just take a bunch of different workshops, do some different conferences and be pretty competitive. And I think that it, people have already proved essentially that premise that you could do that and be really competitive um, because it ultimately in, in our business, it, I think it comes down to personal drive and the people who really wanna do this for a living, the information is so abundant, there's no, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. If you wanna be good at it, you will. If you are just saying you wanna be good at it, but you don't really mean it, well, then you'll probably struggle like most people in their sort of chosen profession. But um, I don't, I don't know what these big art schools are going to do with these with these programs. I mean, I, I just, I don't know how it can last. I don't yeah. know how it can last because the 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 payment structure on it just seems it's tough. It's tough.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And but hey, it it opens up a, a great hole in the market for something like MoGraph Mentor and, and it does indeed, and <laughs> yeah. you're filling it and, and that's awesome. So do you, I'm curious, do you have any time for your own kind of freelance work anymore these days? Cause I imagine MoGraph keeps you pretty busy.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't, I still keep a small roster of larger clients, uh, where most of that work ends up going to graduates of, of MoGraph Mentor who are now sort of my network of yeah. collaborators and, I might stay on some jobs as a producer, slight art direction. If I need, if the client wants me involved, a lot of times it'll just kind of pass straight through to people. Nice. Um, that's been the, um, you know, not to cry in my coffee here, but that's been the, that's been the one downside of, of being the full-time administrator of the program is my, uh, my skills have probably diminished mm. pretty considerably because it is such a discipline. And if you're not constantly being pushed, by clients being pushed to the edge by clients um, i think you can lose it i think you can you can become rusty and um, so i'm trying to do a lot more personal work in the background um, about issues that i care about i want to do i would love to find a way to do more visual journalism talk about like real specific policy issues like you know, vox.com is a website where they say, we explain the news. And I think some of their reporting's good. I think some of it's crap, but the fact that they're doing visual briefings on different issues, I think is cool. And I think that adds value. And I think they're providing a service with that. And I think people in our line of work who can make the stuff, we can talk about any issue we want and publish it. And we can spend three months in the background doing really careful research and thinking really balanced and critically about different things and then make a piece of art make a piece of media make a film that might help other people uh, to understand something Um, because I do think that is the role of of media is to promote understanding at least in theory that's what we would like it to do and so I'm You know, every every free minute I get, I'm working on, you know, different illustrations and animations kind of in the background on stuff that I'm passionate about. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll release it and and maybe I won't. We'll we'll see.
0: (laughs) Oh, no way. That's awesome. I love that. Do you are you is that like just you solo like doing that or are you pulling in any other kind of help from students or anything like that?
1: No, that's just me. Essentially. I've been, um, I guess I'll just say I've been toying with the idea of essentially doing a visual journalism website, kind of a blog just as a hobby. And I've actually been uh, also messing around with the idea of doing a podcast around it. I've been recently interviewing, um, congressional candidates here in Oregon, like bringing them into the studio and getting their position on, on different issues that I've been researching. That's awesome. And, um, it's tough. I go back and forth. There's like just things have gotten so there's such vitriol and sometimes I feel like I don't even want to wade into it. I just want to quit Facebook and just not even like, cause it's so little is being accomplished in all of these, you know, heated discussions. So little is being accomplished that sometimes I definitely get discouraged and think, I'm, I'm just, I'm telling myself this is going to be valuable, but ultimately people will shit on it, or someone who already agrees with the premise will just take it as a reaffirmation, sort of that, you know, confirmation bias type of thing. Yeah. So I'm soul searching. I'm trying to figure out uh, <laughs> if, if, um, yeah, what, what is the value of that type of journalism versus do I just want to make it because it says something about me? Mm. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. Back to that value based um way of thinking that you're talking about earlier so i'm is this something that you're maybe going to try and turn into its own business and try and monetize it in some way you don't have to give out your like whole business plan i'm just like super curious about it
1: yeah i don't think so i don't think so i think it would be cool to have a kind of a non-profit visual journalism collaboration with other people i've been working on a i've been working on a short film about law enforcement here in central Oregon and doing ride alongs. And, you know, once in a past life, I was a pretty decent, uh, videographer, cinematographer, you know, having my, having my camera on a shoulder rig and, and trying to, trying to make images. Um, and that, that's been a learning experience. So like more than anything, like interviewing congressional candidates, I've even undertaken trying to write you know, trying to draft legislation around ideas of, um, certain difficult issues, just trying to propose solutions. Um, and so for me, it's, it's more of a hobby and no, the business is definitely MoGraph Mentor. That's adding value. And that's the other thing is like, I I also am hesitant to want to rock the boat too much. Like I represent MoGraph Mentor Mm. and I don't want it to be partisan in any way. I don't want it to, um, be confrontational in any way. It needs to be about the instructors and, uh, about the mentorship and about the students. And I certainly don't want to detract from that. So I'm trying to go slow and be very careful about, about what I do next with it. Yeah.
0: So what's next for you? What's, what's on the horizon and the the future for yourself, um, and MoGraph Mentor?
1: Yeah, I think for Mograph Mentor, we've been doing the live workshopping, which is the value. Um, but we are going to roll out some smaller, a la carte, topic specific workshops. Um, working with the brilliant Enrique Barone to put together like a master class on sort of, I don't want to call it cell animation, because I think that's the incorrect term, but frame by frame yeah. drawing out animation and his workflow. and he's just such a passionate person about working with people too, that we're going to try to, we're going to try to roll out, um, you know, the main program, the classes are very general and it is more like a general art school curriculum, but uh, rolling out some, some more specific niche classes. This year we've been working on a character design workshop. i got to go down to LA and like do interviews with Corey Loftus, who was the Zootopia character lead and uh, like six or seven other guys that just, like over three days of filming interviews, just blowing my mind. Like how good, <laughs> how good these guys are. And um, you know, again, motion design so multidisciplinary that there's going to be value in taking a character design intensive masterclass or doing a frame by frame animation, cell animation intensive masterclass because those might be things that you weave into a piece here or there. And we do have to know so many disciplines, so. Hopefully we can expand uh, into more things like that.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Is that going to be just like kind of one-off one, you know, just pay one time and take the class? I'm, I just like really want to take that Enrique class. So.
1: Yeah, I think with <laughs> Enrique it would be like four weeks and it'd be like four ninety nine for a month. So you'd have like four live workshops. Nice. So there would be live demos, but then also assignments where there's critiques. So trying to like more hands-on learning would be the goal.
0: Wow, you got you got a lot going on, man. Visual journalism, <laughs> MoGraph mentor. You got a you got a young kid at home. How do you do it? How do you balance it all? And do you ever have time to relax and do fun other things?
1: Time to relax. Yeah. Well, I I like my job. This stuff is fun. Like I love podcasting. I love talking to people. Um, I love making animation. I love, you know, reading. Reports from institutes about tax policy or income inequality. Like I'm genuinely interested in knowing this stuff. Uh, I'm reading Dwight Eisenhower's biography from his first oh. term. Holy cow! This guy, I've got, I've got a lot to say about this guy. I won't get into it now, but I might do a, I might do a film. He has a thing in his sort of ethos about this middle way, and he's sort of the most non-confrontational, least divisive. Um, individual probably ever to be in the Oval Office, the most non-political person. And it's just weird. It's just weird to read his writings from the early 50s. And it just feels like a totally different world from what we're watch, watching right now.
0: I love that.
1: I, I get a lot of inspiration and, and hope from, from his writings. Yeah.
0: No, I love that. And yeah, I don't, don't want to get too much into politics, but that sounds right up my alley. So maybe I'll check that out.
1: Yeah. We need a third, we need some third reasonable party. That's an unrealistic statement to make. It is,
0: but yeah. Well, even just back to what you're saying, like just the whole, like, even just on Facebook, like the Facebook, I don't know if you've seen any of the articles on like, um, uh, blue feed versus red feed and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I, I, I enjoyed that article. I think it highlights, um, exactly what's happening and, you know if, if someone were to come forward because there there are like really good policy institutes and think tanks that put together really serious journalists or places like frontline frontline reporting is probably my favorite thing in the world yeah. they do these they do these live action documentary features that's like in an hour and a half you will understand more about the situation in syria than from reading a million articles on facebook because that yeah. that can be the power of visual journalism And yet, you know, they'll get 150 likes on something it took them three years to make. But like some asshole who put up some website and writes some divisive racial crap gets 30,000 likes and like everybody's crazy for it. And I don't know if it's just Facebook or or what the hell's going on, but like a part of me says like, oh, let's just do reasonable visual journalism. We'll all come to an agreement. It's like, no, you know, the people who are reasonable will look at it and mostly it'll get drowned in a sea of, totally partisan uh, sort of bias confirmation but you know yeah are,
0: like what not that you're trying to get into that kind of visual journalism more do you see a way kind of through that um and and to kind of rise rise through that you know insurmountable mound of garbage
1: yeah i go back and forth i think that motion designers and filmmakers have a unique opportunity to bring understanding in a less confrontational way. Like you can make films that can be wrapped with really positive themes that promote unity um, and also do something visually provocative that surprises people. So it will in that way also be noteworthy um, in, in a forum like Facebook where it's very hard to get attention amongst that noise. So I think, I think visual artists are in a very unique position to step into that Um, And, you know, I mentioned Vox, but there's there's other places too that do that sort of thing. I mean, it's tough. I've uh, I go back and forth on the power of propaganda and I don't mean (laughs) propaganda in a negative context, even propagandizing certain values and ideas that you think are positive and a book that i finished recently was the federalist papers which was written in the late 1700s to try to convince people in the state of new york to adopt the constitution essentially that the whole country should be one country and not have an articles of confederation where we have 13 different countries and it's it's such an important book and people talk about it all the time now because it essentially is the authoritative description of of the intents of the constitution of this country but even the historical record shows that that propaganda did almost nothing Hmm. to sway people and it's like well if alexander hamilton's writings don't do it i'm somewhat skeptical about my ability just the fact that the forces of society are larger and that media often falls incredibly short of changing anyone's mind on almost anything uh and that the larger trends such as demographics or things like that end up end up taking us where we're going to go anyway but I go back and forth. It's fun to think we could affect it. I mean, you could affect it in small ways, certainly. Um, But yeah, I'm quite unsure as to the effect of it.
0: No, totally. And yeah, I just, I feel that, I feel that tendency myself, right? Just like find things that I agree with and consume those things and kind of reject things that I don't.
1: We would all like certainty. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely.
0: But hopefully through, I don't know, great visual journalism. Maybe we can kind of power through that. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we can, we can be optimists, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, man. Late. Tw- how, old, how old are you? Uh, how old am I? 26.
1: Okay. 26. Yeah. I'm going to be 30 this fall. It's funny. I'm reading all these articles about like how hard your late twenties are. Cause you're like a lot of people become jaded and cynical mm. because a lot of your childhood optimism gets wiped away by, you know, sort of certain realities. But but then in these articles saying, by the time you're like 35, you settle into feeling <laughs> feeling better about the world. The Atlantic did some, some interesting editorial on it. But.
0: Oh, interesting. I'll have to check that out. Just got to ride it out a few more years. I'm
1: hopeful I'll be more optimistic in my <laughs> 30s. Yeah.
0: Well, we try to end each episode with the same few questions. Um, cool. So the first question is, who is your dream client? It may, may be a little bit tough because you, I don't know, you don't necessarily do as much freelance work anymore but
1: yeah that one's easy it's uh it's probably the new yorker the atlantic or the new york times like that they would contact me and say we want to make films and build interactive experiences to do new types of visual journalism and we want to give you a million dollars to work (laughs) for a year (laughs) that's my dream brief right there yes
0: that needs to happen please i'm sure we have listeners there no Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah uh yeah. all right, next question your favorite animated film. Oh wow. That's yeah, a tough one.
1: Yeah, in the new age probably Tangled. That was a surprisingly hilarious movie. Old school it's got to be something like Aladdin or The Lion King. Yeah. Or The Brave Little Toaster.
0: Oh, man. I forgot about that. That was one. great, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um does your does your daughter have a favorite?
1: Yeah, she she's she's 6 months so she's like she doesn't know. She doesn't know TV from anything else really. That's nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At least there's no, uh, let it goes being sung constantly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Soon enough. My time is coming. I'm sure.
0: Um, so what, what do the people that you love think that you do for a living? I mean, uh, maybe if you have any good stories of, uh, maybe in-laws or grandparents or even parents.
1: My mother is quite sure that if anyone has a broken printer, I'm the man to call.
0: (laughs) You definitely are.
1: Yeah. Um, No, I mean, most of the people, like, you know, my in-laws have almost no idea what I do. I don't think they care. It's more like, (laughs) oh, he does a thing. Like my dad, before he passed away, he would just say to people, he has a computer business, which almost seemed to imply that I sold computers of some kind. (laughs) And so people would ask me. Like, what kind of computers do you sell? I'd say, like, well, I don't sell any computers. <laughs> I'm not a computer hardware manufacturer, but I do some stuff on computers. <laughs> that's so
0: funny. And hey, that's how Pixar started. I just finished Creativity, Inc. They they sold, the, Steve Jobs wanted them to be uh, a computer company and make his computer. Just
1: make the technology? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Oh, that's cool. It's a little Starts with the technology. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah.
0: All right, last question. What animal did you choose for your animalator and why?
1: Yeah, I chose a bird, and if you look at a picture of me, you probably know why. I have a very regal German beak of a nose. My mother is from Germany, and we have some distinct, uh, some Eastern European heritage as well in there, and I'm also bald, so I made him bald, a bald bird. He's not exactly an eagle. I thought that too generous to give myself the bald eagle (laughs) so he's more of a he's more of a sparrow just kind of a little little round guy
0: well i love it well michael thanks so much for uh giving us your time and coming on the show
1: yeah thanks so much man i appreciate it i love the podcast and i certainly will uh we'll keep listening
0: animalators is part of the gradient podcast network and created in collaboration between identity visuals and gradient to learn more about the work we're doing at Identity Visuals, check out IdentityVisuals.com or follow us on Twitter at identityvisuals. And don't forget to go check out the brand new, just launched website from Gradient, Gradient.is. You can also find them on Facebook or follow them on Twitter at Gradient.is. That's Gradient, D-O-T-I-S. And you can follow us on Twitter at Animalators. Animalators.com is another great website you should check out because there you can see Michael's Animalator and all the other incredible Animalators from previous guests who have been on our show as well. To find out more about Michael Jones and MoGraph Mentor, head to MoGraphMentor.com or you can head to his personal website, michael jones where you can find all kinds of great resources, including Michael's very own podcast. The theme music to the show was written and produced by Cody Fry. Check out more of his work at CodyFry.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, YouTube, really anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And if you're into this podcast, we'd love for you to leave a review or drop us a note. We always love getting your feedback. And when you leave us a review on iTunes, it helps other animators find this podcast, too. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to be back in a couple weeks for another episode of Animalators curious conversations from the world of animation.